All right, so just to piggyback on with what Tyler said, um, one of the things that we know uh, as kids are graduating from high school, whatever they're choosing to do, we know it's a, a pivotal time in their life, not just from the standpoint of uh, like making career decisions or whether or not they're going to go to college or not go to college. We know it's pivotal because for most people or most young people, it's the first time they take faith on themselves, right? And so they walk out of their house and they go into environments that they haven't been in before. And unfortunately, it's been a time for a lot of people where it's caused them to walk away from faith and or the church. And so we, uh, like Tyler said, want to continue to pray that uh, the Holy Spirit continues to work in their, their lives and allows things to be stirred in a way that uh, it gives them an opportunity that the exploration of their faith outside of their parents will be an awakening and not something like, oh my, you know, and walk away from us. We'll continue to pray through that. One other thing, too, before we get into this series, um, we prayed when we moved down here that we wanted it more than just a, a place to do church. We wanted it to be another outreach into the community. Um, we've always said at Life Church, we want to provide opportunities for you to have touch points into the community that you wouldn't normally have. Champs Academy, Business for Mission, that's a part of it, right? You come and you work out here, you have touch points with people in the community you wouldn't normally have. The Cafe of Hope, same concept, right? If you went to the Cafe of Hope and you did a meeting, you're around people, you're gonna have touch points with people that you wouldn't normally have by being at the Cafe of Hope. So the new thing that we're gonna be doing in this environment is we're gonna be doing events in this environment because of the space that we have now. And one of those events or types of events we're gonna be doing is concerts. Um, so Seventh Day Slumber is going to be the first concert that's going to be coming here to Life Church on July 1st. And so we've said, what better way for the church to be able to have touch points with the community than come and serve? So we need volunteers uh, for the Seventh Day Slumber concert on July the 1st. If you want to uh, get involved and you want to be a part of it, uh, a couple ways to get that done. One, go on our app. If you have our app, go on there. You can sign up and you can be a volunteer there. Go on our website. It's another opportunity to be able to sign up and be a volunteer. The other part is, if you're like me and you can't ever figure out technology, just find Jennifer and she will get you signed up for whatever uh, you're supposed to be signed up for. Uh, she'll get you in the right place. All right, so we are in the last part of, we're wrapping up the series, Love, Sex, and Dating, and I'm not sure how people feel if they're really excited it's over or we've learned something in this process, but we've been praying from the beginning that this series was about an idea, right? And the idea is that we think that culture has hijacked some things that the church has been silent on, right? So we think that because the church has been silent on some subjects, um, that the culture has hijacked it, and most people only know what culture says about certain topics because the church doesn't want to talk about it. And when it comes to, like, why does the church not want to talk about it, part of it is, is because when you see what Scripture has to say about love, sex, and dating, part of the problem is, for some people, it ruffles their feathers, right, or they get upset about it. And I'm always the one to say, well, if you read your Bible and you're not offended or conflicted at some point, then there's something wrong because that's what Scripture does, right? Scripture stirs up stuff inside of us that makes us conflicted with the way that we're living and what Scripture and how Scripture wants us to live. So why would the church shy away from talking about what Scripture says and how Scripture deals with those things, regardless of how people 
take what the message is. So that's the reason for the series. We're wrapping up the series with this idea. One of the things that, that I've talked about uh, numerous different times is when culture prevails in the lives of people, it tends to bleed into Christian culture, right? So things that are happening inside of culture, it tends to bleed its way or work its way into Christian culture, and then it has an effect on the way we as Christian people live. One of those things is this. I believe we live in a culture where people promise a lot and deliver a little, right? People who, with their mouth, promise lots of things, but with their actions of life, they deliver very little. To the point where I think we've just got to, as a cultural standpoint, we've just got used to people promising things and then them never doing it. Like, we're not really even disappointed anymore because we're so used to somebody giving us promises. I know that how it is for me. Like, when somebody comes and says, I promise I'm going to, I'm going to be like, we'll see. Right? Like, we'll see how it all turns out because I just know that many people make promises, but a lot of times the actions of their life never change. So how does that bleed over into Christian culture, and how does it affect what we want to talk about when it comes to love, sex, and dating? Here's how it works. So every weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, something happens that people make huge promises that a lot of times they can't keep. You know what those things are? Weddings right? Every weekend, people get together, and they say these vows, right? You ever think about this? Like, the vows that people say? Like, in the wedding ceremony, when people say the vows, it's always like, oh, that's so good to have and to hold and to stay forward, you know, for richer, poor, sickness, and health. And I'm like, well, you ain't never been poor. You know, wait till you're poor sometime. See how good it is to you know, see if you can keep that promise when you are poor or when those things that, but when they say it, it all sounds good, right? And we're promising to our spouse, our future spouse, like, I'm going to do all the things regardless of what happens in our life. I promise. And I'm sitting back there thinking, hmm, we'll see how it goes, right? We'll, we'll see how it all. In fact, here's the new thing. Like people started writing their vows to each other. And I'm like, holy crap. Like, you've now upped the game. Like, the old traditional vows was just sickness and health and rich or poor and death do his part. Now it's like, I'm promising you the world, honey. And like, tears are flowing. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> I don't know if you know this or not, but normally what happens is we make lots of promises. And then when it comes to fulfill those promises, it's really difficult to, to make it all happen. Why? Right? So why is that the case? Why is it so hard for us to be able to take promises and be able to turn them into something that we can uphold or be a part of? Well, this is why we, uh, or what we know inside of that. The reason is this, and I wrote this down, you can write this down too. Promises are not a substitute for preparation, okay? Promises are not a substitute for preparation. Now, this is all going to make sense. You know, some of you are out there going like, I'm not tracking. Let me give it a little bit with you. So I could promise that I'm going to live a healthier lifestyle, right? Like I can promise that. But if you looked at my past history, <laughs> or if you look at that, you could know that the past history of my life has predicted the outcome today, right? Because I don't eat right, because I don't exercise all the time, my future is predicted. This thing keeps growing, right? Like, we already know that. We already know that, that 
these ideas of, of these things that we do predict our future. So promising that you're going to do something isn't going to make it happen. In fact, uh, I thought about this yesterday. Uh, so Jeremy and I were talking at his graduation party. And so Jeremy and I have uh, some things in common. And one of the things is high school made zero sense, right? Like when I was in high school, I'm like, I have no idea why I have to take math. What do I need math for? That's why they have calculators, right? Like what do I have to take a math class for, especially algebra, solving the unknown? I'm just going to figure out the unknown. I don't want to go through all those processes, right? So there's things about high school that made zero sense to me other than the fact of I knew I needed to go. Like, I guess you have to get a diploma, you know. So Jeremy and I would talk about this, like, hey, Jeremy, how you doing? You know, you know, like, I get it. You don't like high school, but you know you have to graduate. Yeah, I promise I'm going to graduate. And I'm like, I'm looking at your power school, and I'm not sure that's going to happen. <laughs> and Jeremy kept saying, like, I know, I promise I'm going to get it done. And it was funny yesterday because, you know, having a graduation party, you know, like, oh, well, we're still kind of up in the air of whether or not Jeremy's going to I'm just kidding. Jeremy's like, no, dude, like, I've been grinding. Preparation, right? Jeremy's figured out that I can't promise that I'm going to graduate. I actually have to, like, do my homework and turn things in and make those things happen. But we all know that in life, right? Like, you can promise something, but if you don't put the preparation into it, none of it's ever going to happen, right? Well, it's the same concept when it comes to relationships. Like, if we don't understand preparation that goes into the promises that we make, what you're going to find, right? And, and some of you who are married have found this, right? You're living in the midst of a relationship that has a lot of empty promises, right? You have a, a spouse who has promised you a lot and delivered a little. And my hope is, is that when we go through this, this is what that I, I hope all of us will see. So if you're single today, and or you're dating somebody. Here's my hope, is that you will understand this. Somebody's past, right, or the, the past that they have is a predictor of the future that will come, unless it's changed, okay? Does that make sense? So not that somebody's past can't change or dictate everything, but if you don't change your behaviors, preparation, the dictation of or the thing that will be is the outcome will be based upon your past behavior. So if the past behavior isn't right, you need to be fixed. So if you're looking at somebody, young people, and I'm going to talk about this in detail later on. If you're looking at him, especially girls, if you're looking at your guy and saying, someday I could change him, little heads up. Unless they change themselves, behaviors, practices, principles, you ain't changing them, right? Long term, you're not changing them. That's not the way that it works. So today, I hope that as we go through this, you can see how that all fits together. So if you have a Bible, Proverbs 14.8, and we're going to be looking at Proverbs 14.15. Here's what we're going to be talking about, okay? So in Proverbs, Solomon, one of the wisest men ever, wrote Proverbs. And then when he wrote this, the great thing about Proverbs is it's a lot of practical application right? So in Proverbs, it's practical application that would say, if you do these things, this is your predictable outcome. Does that make sense? If you don't do these things, here's your predictable outcome. Like he gives you that wisdom. So I always tell people, if you want to get on your first Bible reading plan, if you've never read the Bible on a regular basis, here's your first Bible reading plan. 
Whatever day it is. What day is it today? What's the date? 23rd. Proverbs 23 is what you should have read today, right? Every day, wake up, whatever the date is, read the proverb. It's a great start for you because it's practical application. If you read it, it's going to give you a lot of insight on how to live. So in Proverbs, it's here's how you should live and, and here's the things that you should do. But if you don't do it, let me tell you the predictable outcome of that. So my hope is that you will see this today from a I'm single, not dating yet, so I'm, some things I need to work on. I'm dating, you know, and in a relationship, there's some things that I need to work on. I'm married, and in, in my relationship, there's some things that I need to work on, and we're going to work on it based upon the wisdom that Solomon gives us. So we're going to look at what he says, then at the end of it, okay, I'm going to give you some real practical application, okay? Do this, 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 and this, and if you do these things, I believe that you're going to, to set yourself up uh, for success. So here's uh, the first thing. Okay, so in Proverbs 14.8, here's what it says. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their steps or thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. So one of the things that we don't really talk about a lot is prudent. Like nobody here, you don't hear the word prudent very often anymore. Let me tell you what a prudent person is or what uh, Solomon's talking about. Here's what a prudent person knows. A prudent person knows that the decisions they make affect the outcome of their life. Okay? So a prudent person would understand the decisions that you make today has an effect on what's going to happen next and what's going to happen next and what's going to happen next. So a prudent person would know if I make this decision, it's going to have an outcome and effect because all of my decisions are connected together. Does that make sense? Right? If you make a decision, prudent people would understand the connections of decisions have outcomes. They have two types of outcomes. Outcomes that are good right? Good consequences and outcomes that are bad, bad consequences, but they get it. Every decision that I make in my life has an outcome or has a, a, a way of making a difference into my future. So he would say, a prudent person knows that every decision matters. And he says in this, that the wisdom of the prudent gives thoughts to their ways. Okay. Here's what that prudent person knows. If all my decisions matter, I better take or make my decisions in a way that I've thought through them, or I better make my decisions in a way that it's something that's going to be lasting. So here's when he says ways, here's what he means, habits, right? So he says, every prudent person knows this. You can promise a lot, but if you haven't developed the habit of doing things a certain way, the predictable outcome of it all is going to be an empty promise. Is that, you see what I'm saying? So like, if I want to be back to healthy lifestyle, here's what a prudent person would know. If you don't work out, you get fat, right? Well, some of you don't get fat. I get fat, right? If you don't work out, like you don't have a healthy lifestyle. This prudent person knows that, but if they want to change it, they would say, what do I need to change in my life? Okay, I must not be doing very good. Habits, right? Like if you want to change it, you can't just be like, oh my gosh, I'm sick of being fat. I'm sick of being out of shape. The thing that I need to change in my life is habits, right? I have to change the habits of my life. And if I change the habits of my life, it's going to give me the opportunity for a predictable outcome, right? So if you change habits, it gives you the way to have a predictable outcome. Now, inside of that, it goes with the same thing, right? That the best indication, again, something that, that I wrote down here, the best indication of future behavior is to look at what we said earlier, past behavior, right? So 
young people, I want you to think about this, or people that are getting ready to marry people. If you're looking at somebody, and I'm going to talk about it in detail later on, if you look at their past behavior, and their behavior or habits are a certain way, the chances of those habits all of a sudden changing because you get married are slim to none. So what you're looking for is a person that will change their habits before you get to the place where you have the commitment so you can see that it's all working, right? So you can see that the habits of their life are different. Now, here's the next thing that he says with it, right? The prudent gives thoughts to their ways, but the fool or the folly of fools is deception. Here's what he says. Anybody that believes that their decisions don't have effect on the outcome of their life or anybody that doesn't have habits and believe that those habits are predictable outcomes of the future, you are a you're a fool. Like anybody that's going through life thinking you can promise your way through life and just work your way through life and take on every challenge as it comes, but you don't have any habits and you don't have any things in place, you know, to be able to make, you know, your outcomes more predictable, you're a fool. He's like, that's not going to happen. You can talk all you want, but it's not going to end up that way. Then he goes on as you drop down into Proverbs 14. He also says this, the simple believe anything but the prudent give thoughts to their steps. The simple believe anything. You know what's interesting in uh, couples when they're in love? You know what's funny about couples that are in love? They could come and I could be talking with them, you know, and they're like, you know, I know he has these issues and she has this issues, but because we're in love, none of those things matter. And I'm like, have you lost your mind? And you know what the truth is? Yes, that's the greatest thing about love. You lose your mind, right? In a good way, you lose your mind. And in a bad way, you lose your mind. And one of the funniest things that, that ever happens, and it usually happens, not all the time, but it usually happens with the woman in premarital counseling. One of the things that they do is like, hey, we're thinking about getting married. And I know what you're thinking. I know he does this, 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 and this, and has this, 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 and this, but, you know, so they're like, explaining away all of the things that are not right with their spouse. But at the end of the day, you know what I can do? Because I'm the woman. I can change him. And I keep going like, if there was a button to push that had a siren on it inside of my office, I'd be like, like, you ain't changing them. You know what I mean? Like that ain't happening. Like if you're trying to explain away, and I always said this, why are you trying to explain away all of these things instead of holding him accountable to change these things. Like, why are you justifying his habits that aren't right and being like, it'll just all be okay because we're going to work it all out. No, it's not going to be okay. It's going to come up again, right? It will come up again. And at some point you're going to be dealing with it. And at some point that whole like, ah, oh, in the beginning is going to be, right? Like it switches. Right? And all of a sudden, what you put up with, you're not putting up with anymore. Right? Those things aren't going to be that way. So this idea is, he says, simple thinking people, not prudent people, because prudent people would think through and understand, like, I'm not going to explain away all of my own excuses or my future spouse's excuses. We're going to come up with ways to fix them. We're going to look at these things and say, you know what? This, 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 and this. We need to have habits that get us in a better place than this, this, and this instead of making excuses for it, right? Like we need to get to that place and we need to understand how to be able to do it. Again, right? 
we need to understand that the past is a better indicator than a promise. Now, the reason that I tell you that, the past is a better indicator than a promise. Let me tell you my own story, right? I want to tell you how it works with me. So when Sherry and I were first married, I told you, like, nobody told us how to do it, so we kind of learned as we went. And so when we were learning as we went, one of the things that uh, we had is, like, I wasn't saved when we first got married. I got saved. Some of you have heard the story, like, when I gave my life to Christ, I heard this calling, like, I want you to be in full-time ministry, and I gave God these excuses, like, I'm not going to be in full-time ministry, and I've already told you guys the excuses. I'm not going to do it, so I made a decision. I was a mechanic at the time working at Zerker Tire and a service manager, putting about 60 hours a week there, and I'd be like, hey, you know what I could fulfill it is I could be a part-time youth pastor, right? And at the same time, right, we're having kids, and the kids are young, and the kids are close together, and Sherry's a stay-at-home mom, and... You know how life gets kind of crazy when they're little and you're not sure what side's up and down? And so all that's happening, and I'm working 60 hours, and then I'm working in the youth. But I'm doing, we're doing things for the Lord, right? So we take a youth group that had three people, grew it into 10 people and 15 people and 30 people, and then we started doing this cross-cultural mission trips. And we did cross-cultural mission trips because I kept sitting in the room with all these kids, and I'm like, you guys are spoiled brats, like, you need to see what the rest of the world looks like. You guys complained because the cookies weren't good enough, right? Or there wasn't pizza or somebody didn't stuff marshmallows in my mouth for youth groups, so I'm not coming anymore. And I'm like, Lord, have mercy. You should see what the rest of the world lives like, or you should see what the rest of the world's like. So we started going to these cross-cultural mission trips, and we started specifically going into orphanages because I wanted to see them, kids that didn't have families, in the way the rest of these kids live. So we started taking these kids over to Guatemala, doing it in, in these orphanages. Well, in the same process, um, as we did, as we did it every year, I got on the board of House of Hope. And on the board of House of Hope uh, was the organization that went around in all places around the world and, and created um, orphanages in different places around the United States. So now I'm not only traveling to Guatemala, I'm traveling with this, you know, uh, organization and we're planting, you know, uh, orphanages around the world. And all this time, my poor wife, right, I'd say to people all the time, she's such a saint because she had to keep putting up with this like, I'm working, but God wants me in full-time ministry. And then I'd come home and complain like, I just have this godly discontent and God wants me to be in full-time ministry, but I really can't do it and there's no way out. And she'd have to listen to it all the time. And she'd be like, honey, I'm just praying for the right time. And I'm like, I want the right time to be now. Like I'm sick of it. So anyway, so we're having this conversation. So I go to Guatemala, take a team there. We're sitting there and somebody from the front comes to the back and says, I just heard from God. And, and God said to me to tell you that you need to be a missionary. And I'm like, finally God spoke. This is the moment. I'm so excited. The providence of God and the way that he speaks. And I can't wait to go home and tell Sherry. So I'm like, building this up, man. Like the whole trip, God spoke. This is the moment. I'm thinking on the plane ride, I can't wait to get home and tell my wife, like, honey, guess what God said? So I get there, and I'm thinking, Sherry, I just got to tell you what God did on this trip and the amazing things that he did. And I looked at her and said, God spoke and through another person. And this, you know what he said? We're going to be full-time missionaries. And I'm thinking at this moment, it's like all the little popping of love hearts and this love fest of the house. And she's going to be like... Honey, finally you heard from God, and I'm so happy for you, and it's so great, and this is the, you know, so exciting. And she looked at me, I'll never forget. She looks over at me, and she's like, 
And anybody get no Sherry, she's the look, you know, she's like, just so you know, we aren't going to be anything until I'm no longer a single mom. And you know how you have the balloon and then it goes, But I tell you this story because it's such a pivotal point of, of my life and the things that God's done through us. Because I made a promise to my wife at that moment. I said, Sharon, I'm going to promise you something. Because I hear what you're saying. You know, I have loved other people's kids more than I've loved my own. And I have loved other families more than I've loved you. And I'm sorry. Right? Like, this is a reality. Sherry, help me see reality. But I said, I promise you. From this day forward, I will never love the church or its people more than I love you. Now, if you were Sherry, would you believe me? Uh-uh. <laughs> Why? Because past behavior, the way that I had lived, had never shown that I could uphold the promise. So you know what that promise was to Sherry? An empty promise. Okay. But if you talk to my wife today and you ask her, do you believe that Mike, next to Jesus Christ, do you believe that Mike loves you and our kids more than the church? She would emphatically say yes. You know why she could say that? Because for the past 20 years, I've proved it to her. And you know what's funny? People have left Life Church over this. Like I say in every Discover Life meeting that, you come to, that people come to, I said, I want to tell you something. I love Life Church. I love the people of Life Church. But I'm going to tell you right from the beginning, I will never love you more than I love my wife, ever. And I will never love you more than I love my children. And people say, oh, that's good, that's okay, until I can't be at something. And I just tell them, like, listen, I love, I'm not losing my family over you. I'm not. I'm not going to have my wife being in that place again. There are other people at this church that can pray with you. And there's other people at this church that can minister to you. And I'm not saying that from an arrogant standpoint, but I'm fulfilling a promise that I made to my wife. And to this day, she will tell you. Now, it's not always been perfect, but to this day, she could say that I, in my life, would understand that the past is a predictor of the outcome of my life, and I've proven to her. And that's what we're trying to get at. Listen, you can't make empty promises. You have to make decisions that when you promise something, if you put these practices in life, that it can help you move to the place that you need to be, and there's not empty promises, okay? So in your relationships, how does that fit? I'm going to give you some application, okay? So here's some application. Here's the first thing, okay? Address your past issues, okay? Address your past issues. Here's why. If you don't address your past issues, your past issues will come up again, right? And if you don't address your past issues, right, you will expect your spouse to fill holes that your spouse was never made to fill. We're tracking? You hear me? Like if, you're, if you have a hole somewhere, and you bring that hole into it, and you're not a whole and healthy person, somewhere in your relationship, you will ask your spouse to fill the hole, and your spouse can never do it. And it starts with this. Okay, young people, you listening to me? If you want to marry somebody that can love you 
the way that you deserve to be loved, they need to first love Jesus more than they love you. Period. If they don't, if they don't, they will never be able to love you the way that you deserve, and you will always be trying to fill a hole that Jesus was meant to fill. Again, back to Sherry. Like, one of the things that she'll tell you, in the times where I have not been the husband that I am supposed to be, where did she go? Back to the one who will always be there and the one that filled the hole in her heart to begin with and the one that she loves more than she loves me, which is Jesus. That's what you have to have inside of a marriage because at some point, and this might be a news flash, but married couples, you could tell single people this or people that are dating. At some point in your relationship, you can't meet each other's needs fully. So who's going to? And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I guarantee you, you will find that because we live in a culture where we go out and get our needs met. And if they can't be met with Jesus, you're going to find a place to meet him, and it's where destructive behavior starts, okay? So make sure that you address your past issues. Here's the next one. Women, a lot of you are wondering, a lot of guys ask me this question, when's the women's message, right? Like you had the guy's message and you only talked to them. So I have a little snippet in here for you, especially young girls, okay? Are you ready for this? Don't dress like you are a commodity, Okay, now I'm going to explain this to you a little bit. So don't dress like you are a commodity or don't allow people to use your body as a commodity. Okay, so I'm going to help tie this together in as much as a farmer outdoorsman can tie this together. Okay, you ready? When somebody goes fishing and they decide that they want to catch a fish, you know, when they go to catch a fish, if it's a certain kind of fish, they use a certain kind of bait to be able to catch a certain kind of fish. Right, fishermen, that's all making sense. <laughs> I know people are laughing. They're like, there's no way this can connect. Listen, I'm getting there. Come on. It's going to connect, I promise. So they use a certain type of bait to be able to catch a certain type of fish. Young girls, listen to me for a second. Young ladies. If you are using or dressing like a commodity, your body is attracting a certain type of, you're fishing for a certain type of person. Right? If you're using your body in a, as a commodity or dressing like a commodity, what you're going to catch is boys that are looking for a certain thing. What do you think they want? You used your bait, your body, to catch it. What do you think that he came to you for? Thank you, Lord Judas. Come on. Your body for crying out loud. And at the time, nobody thinks it's a big deal. Like, hey, it's looking good today. 20 years from now, it don't look that way anymore. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that, but stuff changes over time, right? And here's the important thing to think about. If you use your body to catch him in the beginning and your body can no longer keep him, where do you think he's going to go? You hear me, right? If you attracted him with your body and your body is the thing that brought him in and you caught him with, when you can no longer catch him with your body anymore, believe me, he's going out looking for another body. Because that's the mentality. And girls say this all the time. Well, I can't figure it out. All I date's a bunch of pigs. Well, and then the next day, all I date's a bunch of pigs. I'm like, well, look at what, I don't know. You're the bait that's catching the pig. I don't know. 
Maybe you should change the ones that are attracted to you, right? I mean, think about it for a second. Like your, what should they be attracted with? And young ladies, listen, don't let it be the physicality of your body because all of those things change. Don't, give, don't dress like and don't give your body away. Don't allow those things to happen because those guys that are baited in by those things in the beginning, if it changes when that goes away, believe me, I've seen it from experience in other marriages. When that goes away and things change and they can no longer be caught by what you have, they will find it somewhere else. That's just the reality of how it works. Okay, here's the next one. You need to be good with your money, okay? You need to be good with your money. Now, if you're young, you're thinking like, oh, money, what's the matter? I got enough. And I just, I want to tell you, young people, listen to me. A, four, a little precursor into the future, you know what one of the, the, the root factors of a lot of divorces are? And people will be like, oh, we never got to see each other and we never spent time together and it's all about we never could build our relationships. I said, you know why you couldn't spend any time together? Because you didn't have your money right and you both had to work these different jobs and you were never around. And so, yes, the issue is you never saw each other, but you know why you didn't see each other? Because you needed to make more money than, than you had or you spent more money than you had. So you had to have two jobs and you couldn't fix it because you created a lifestyle and you didn't know how to manage your money. And so now you never get to see each other. Right? Like that's the way that it works, you know, inside of a marriage. And, and for young people, like when you're looking at your life, it's never easier than now, because I'm going to give you another, like, look into the future. You know what's funny? It's always had this mentality. When I was first married, you know, I, I looked back at my W-2, and Sherry and I's first year of marriage, and made like $11,000, and I'm like, you know, we're making it, but it's really a struggle. If I could just make $15,000, we would be so happy. You know what happened when I made $15,000? If I could only make 30, you know, anybody been on this train? You know, if I could only make, if I could only make, well, this if I could only make is a never-ending thing, right? Because then you're single or, or you're married and you don't have a lot of obligations and, and it still doesn't work. And then you know what happens? You get married and have kids. Those suckers are expensive. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, if you haven't figured that out, it only gets worse as you go. And so then all of a sudden you got to travel everything and you got to pay for everything. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're like, money's not right. And it leads to these relationship conflicts that, that end up in places that cause problems. So you need to be right with your money. The next one is this. You need to break your bad habits, right? So whatever bad habits that you have, you need to break them and not bring them into the relationship, okay? So whatever bad habits you have, because at the beginning, you know how I was talking about how wives will explain or future wives will explain away the bad habits of their future husband? So I always tell them, like, you can explain it away, but someday it'll be your fault. <laughs> Nobody else, right? Like, they'll bring the bad habit in, and your wife will explain it away, and they think they're doing a really good thing for you, and then all of a sudden you get married, and six months later, that bad habit that your husband has now is blaming you for because you never fixed it, right? So you got you to make sure that those bad habits that you have, that you fix them before you get into a relationship or make sure that you uh, fix those things so that, it's, that you have an opportunity to work on your relationship. Here's the next one. Postpone the physical. Okay. So this is specifically for you guys that are in dating relationships or you're single and you're getting ready to do dating relationship. Specifically, right? And, and I'm going to talk about it, and I'm not saying that it's always with young girls, but I want you to think about this for a second. 
Young ladies, when I say postpone the physical, I want to challenge you for a second. Postponing the physical is not just don't have sex. Okay? So it's not like the line is right before having sex. So it's postpone the physical by doing this. Move that line back to a place that, that again, doesn't lead you into a path of destruction, right? So move it back here. And here's why I want you to do this. You will find out real quick what that boy's attracted to when you postpone the physical. Anybody? Right? Like if you postpone that physical and you say, my line's up here and I'm not going to cross that line, and all of a sudden that guy's like, well, I don't know if I can be in relationship with you. We just don't have what we used to have. And I'm like, run, run. Because <laughs> you know what he's talking about, right? And you know what? what? Because if he truly loves you, right, he could postpone the physical, it shouldn't be a big deal. If he ditches you because you've drawn the line up here, he's not a man worthy of you to begin with. Come on, right? Like, he's not worthy of you. So postpone the physical. Give yourself an opportunity to allow love to develop the way love should develop and that and be an attraction the way that it's supposed to happen. All right, the band's going to come back up. I'm going to leave you with these last two, okay? Here's the, the uh, last two. Here's the first one. Avoid living together. Now, this one I always get flack over, you know, because people are like, well, that's the new thing. And I get it. And I understand it, honestly, when couples are like, hey, we've moved in and we're living together and we're going to be married in a couple months. Like, I, listen, this isn't about condemnation with you inside of that. But here's the one thing that I want to challenge you with. If it's because you're waiting on a ceremony, which is where a lot of people are, like we can't have a ceremony in a, for a year and the venue's not ready for a year and, you know, we might don't have enough money for the wedding, like the event of the wedding. I'm like, well, that's easy. I've married people in the cafe before. So here's what I'll tell you to do. Go get your marriage license. We'll sit around the cafe table. You say I do, and then just have your wedding a year from now. Why not just do that, right? Because if it's just about the event, why does the event matter anyway? I mean, I know it matters to you, right, that you get to do the event. But if you're living together, why don't you just sign the documents and have the commitment done? Right? Like, why don't you just go ahead and sign on the dotted line and put it together? Because at the end of the day, that's what you're doing anyway. Like, your gathering of doing a wedding together is just a celebration with your friends, right? And so that you can say the wedding vows, you know, to other people. But you could say them right around that cafe table. So just go ahead and get it. We'll sign it. And then go ahead and wait, you know, a year, six months. But part of the problem with why people don't want to do that and I just know from, guy, from a guy's perspective. And I'm not saying, if you're living with somebody, don't take this as I'm saying this to you personally. I'm saying the people that I have dealt with in the past. You know why that person isn't signing that? Because here's what they know. I'm in. I'm committed. I'm locked down. Something changes. Now it's Indiana law, 50-50. Right? Like when you get a divorce, like, Split. If it didn't work out before we signed on the dotted line, we just, you take your crap, I'll take my crap, and we'll do something else, right? It's a commitment, right? Like it starts down that road. And here's the last one that I want you to think about. If you're a single person right now and you're looking for somebody, you want to, the greatest qualities you could ever look for in a person, that they serve people without a thought of anything in return. And this is what I've always said to young people, you know where that starts? The local church, <laughs> 
Like I always thought it was weird when young people don't serve inside of the local church because serving inside of the local church, you know what that does? Like the people that set up these chairs in the morning, nobody knows them, nobody sees them, they're not a part of it, but they're doing it so we could gather together. People that are serving in children, people that are serving in youth, they're doing it with this idea that I'm going to love people even if I don't get anything in return. Nobody has to pat me on the back or run me across the stage and say, thank you for setting up chairs, thank you for doing donuts, thank you for welcoming, thank you for greeting, thank you for doing. The greatest quality inside of a marriage, the, what I love to see, is when a spouse will love their husband or wife without anything in return. The greatest, most beautiful marriages I've ever seen in my life have been just that. They love without the thought of return. And so if you're looking right now, young people, if you're looking, look for somebody who's serving without anything in return. You know, the other thing that it does, when you start serving without return, it starts to rip this selfish tendency out of you. Because you know what had happened in young people today? We've created a culture that it's all about you. And I just want to tell you, if you bring that into your marriage, it is going to be a disaster. It's not all about you. So why not start right now? It's not all about you. And even though you can say that, you have to prove it. What are the things that you're doing in life by serving people that would say, it's not about me, right? And it's not about my life. So if you stand, I want to pray as we end today. So, Heavenly Father, when we come to you today, Lord, we understand that this idea of, of empty promises has become an uh, accepted part of our culture, but not for us, Lord. Scripture says to us in relationships, we need to be a people, prudent people, who understand that the decisions that we make have effects, and that we need to be a people that no longer lives in a place of empty promises. We need to be a people in our relationships that prove through our habits of our life, that first we love you more than we love anything on this earth, and that in our relationships, then we can give to people what they deserve. Lord, I pray for the young people in this room today, Lord, that they will understand what this means and how it can be effective in their lives and how they can use these principles to be able to find the right person, to be able to, to help each other in relationships, be the person that God's called them to be. And Heavenly Father, we pray that in everything we do, we bring you glory and you alone. Heavenly Father, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. From the darkness, I called your name. Into darkness, your mercy came. And you called me out and lifted me up. How great is your love. And you bore my weakness, you took my shame. Buried my burdens in fields of grace. You called me out, lifted me up. How great is your love! And from the heights of heaven, you stepped down to earth, and in the 
So again, I hope for all of us that something we'll continue to think is just how much God loves each one of us and how he wants each one of us to not live a life of empty promises, but one committed to him first and then committed to the relationships with people and allow God to have all the glory in the midst of that. So again, thanks for coming uh, this week. Thanks for joining us online. Congratulations to all the seniors. We'll be praying for you guys in your journey. Uh, and again, we'll see you guys next week.